Welcome back to this session of the listener's commentary on the book of Galatians. In this session, we're going to be looking at Galatians 5, 13 through 26. And before we jump into the details, let's make sure we set up the context and really the structure of this section. In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul really concluded the preceding paragraph with the words, It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, stand firm and don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So that's how chapter 5 began. And then in chapter 5, 2 through 12, Paul really called the Galatians to defend their freedom by calling out the false teachers, by really naming the issue that submitting to circumcision requires submitting to the entire Mosaic law, and that means you are fallen from the covenant of grace made in Jesus, and so you're under the law and the curse it brings. And so defend your freedom and don't do that. That's the force of chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. And then here in this section, then, he circles back to the idea of freedom with the idea of you were called to freedom, and then he has some instructions about that. And so we are in this section where Paul is really calling us to live out the freedom that we've been given in Christ. This section, 513 through 26, really has three main parts to it. Part one is 513 through 15, and the major idea there is even though you are free in Christ and you're free from the law, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. He says, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. In fact, freedom in Christ leads to loving like Christ. That's the main idea of part one. Then part two is 516 through 24, where Paul calls us to walk by the Spirit. And the major idea in context there is that the way to not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh is to walk by the Spirit. That's how you do that. That's how you learn to love like Jesus and live like Jesus, is you walk by the Spirit. So part part two is all about walking by the Spirit and the kinds of character traits that leads to. And then part three is really just a wrap-up section. It's 525 and 26. That's a wrap-up section that really comes back to, and therefore, since we're spirit people, we need to live by the Spirit. And that means we need to live in a relationship with one another that's not challenging and boastful and envious of one another. Here's the thing I really want us to notice in the way this structure works before we look at the details. In part one, Paul has called us to... Um, serve one another, love one another. And in part three, the the wrap-up section, he calls us to uh, live together in a one-another context that's not challenging, boastful, or envying. And what I want you to hear in that structure is, in the middle, the walking by the Spirit part, the familiar part, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, um, and all of that is surrounded by two little sections that have to do with one another. That's very important to notice because it reminds us of the community aspect of walking by the Spirit and the community aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And so while the fruit is obviously personal, it's not individual, that the fruit of the Spirit is going to manifest itself in relationship with others. There will be a one another component to it. That's very important, and the whole structure of this makes that very clear. All right, with that then, let's jump into the details of this section, beginning with part one, where Paul calls us to not use our freedom 
as an opportunity for the flesh. Notice what he says. 5.13 begins like this for the logical connection really with the preceding context, and that's why it's so important we looked at that context and be reminded that Paul is talking about freedom and calling us to defend our freedom and to live out our freedom for, he says, you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Notice that the opposite of turning your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh is serving one another. Again, this community aspect, this uh, one another context for not living out the flesh, but eventually where he gets to is living by the Spirit. And so you were called to freedom. You're free in Christ. Just don't take that freedom and turn it into an opportunity for the flesh. If you haven't listened to the preceding session where we talked about the meaning of flesh and spirit in the Apostle Paul, that's very, very important to understanding this whole section that we're looking at in this session. And so if you haven't done that, you should pause right now, go back and listen to that to make sure you understand those terms because there's a lot of popular level misunderstanding of what Paul means by flesh and spirit. And so you need to make sure you're clear on that to hear what he's saying. The flesh is the fallen way of doing life. And so you're free in Christ, which means you're free from the Old Testament law. You've been set free from that. That covenant's day is over. It's job. It's done. You're free in Christ. But being free in Christ doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you please, whatever you feel like, whatever you want. It means that you now have a new ability to live the way Jesus wants you to live, and that shows up particularly in loving one another and serving one another. So through love, serve one another. That is how Paul wants us to live as a church, as the people of God. Verse 14 goes on and says, For the whole law, the whole Old Testament law, is fulfilled in one word, or one statement is the idea, The whole Old Testament law is fulfilled in this one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's a familiar command to us, and usually we associate it with Jesus' teaching in the Gospels because he brings it up there. But originally, that statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is found in Leviticus 19.18. And thus, when Jesus brings it up in his teaching, he's actually saying, Here is the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two primary commandments in the Old Testament law. That's Jesus' point. And Paul is making the same point here. You want to know ultimately how to fulfill the Old Testament law and really live out what the law was all about? Well, here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it makes perfect sense. When you read through so much of the Old Testament law, it's giving instructions for how to live in relationship relationship to your fellow Israelites, your fellow Jews, your fellow people of God. And thus, this statement is really at the heart of the Old Testament law. And so for Jesus, as well as for Paul here, this sentence, love your neighbor as yourself, is a key command, the key command in the Old Testament law. So if you're really interested in fulfilling the law, do this. Don't live however you want. Don't fulfill the flesh. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15 then comes and says, here's a specific application of that. If you bite and devour one another, seeming to mean if you bicker, if you fight, if you criticize, if you gossip, if you condemn, that seems to be what he's getting at, this idea of just kind of consuming each other, picking at each other, biting with each other. Take care, he says, 
lest you be consumed by one another. And the idea seems to be in the theological problems that are affecting your church, there's leading to backbiting, there's leading to gossiping, there's leading to saying negative things about each other. Take care lest you be consumed by one another. What does he mean by be consumed by one another? I suspect is he's getting at the idea that this kind of fight, this kind of biting, your church is so young that you're going to destroy the church and there will be no church left in your town if you keep acting this way. So don't do that. And I think we've all seen that happen even in modern times in our own context where infighting and bickering and arguing and criticizing and turning into rival parties who have different preferences in the church and all of that, how that just destroys a church. And Paul's like, that will lead you to be consumed by one another. And so your freedom in Christ means you can't live however you want. What your freedom in Christ should lead you to do is to love one another like Christ loved you. That's the point. All right, now how are you going to do that? How are you going to be able to not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but actually love and serve one another like Jesus did? Well, you're going to do that, he says, by walking by the Spirit. And so verse 16, as we move into part two of this section, says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit. Now, I wouldn't take that but at the beginning of that sentence as a strong contrast. It's more of a general connective in the sense of saying, now I say, or so I say. This is how you're going to do this. This is how you're going to take your freedom and use it wisely and rightly to honor Jesus and love one another. You're going to do that by walking by the Spirit. When he says walking by the Spirit, again, you need to make sure you've listened to the preceding session about flesh and spirit so you understand what's really getting at here. But technical note on that command, walk by the Spirit. That's a command, and that word walk is in present tense in Greek. And here's what that means. The present tense, when you get into a command structure like this, the present tense indicates not so much the time of the action as the kind of action. It has to do more with continuing action. And so walk by the Spirit in the present tense means regularly, continually carry out your life by the Spirit. In fact, the word walk was is one of the dominant metaphors or pictures for going about life in the New Testament, in the writings of the apostles. And the reason for that was because they didn't have cars. They were a walking community. If you wanted to go to the market, you walked. If you wanted to go to the gymnasium, you walked. If you wanted to go to the bathhouse, you walked. That's how you got everywhere. So to walk meant to go about your life, to carry out your life. And so regularly, continually carry out your life by the Spirit, in and through or with the Spirit is the idea. Do that, and he says, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So don't turn your freedom, in verse 13, into an opportunity for the flesh. How do you do that? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Another little technical note about that phrase, you will not. In Greek, there's two words for not, U and may, and they're both here where that word not shows up. Walk by the Spirit and you will not not carry out the desire of the flesh. How does that work? Well, you can't really do that in English because we've been told, you know, a double negative makes a positive. Can't really do that. But in Greek, to put two knots side by side like that essentially emphasized the point. It made it more certain and more definite. And so what Paul is really saying is, Walk by the Spirit, and you will definitely not, you will most certainly not 
carry out the desire of the flesh. If you go about your life in partnership with God by His Spirit, attached to God by His Spirit, you will definitely not carry out the desire of the flesh, of the fallen way of doing life that leads to bickering and fighting and comparing and all that stuff that he described in verse 15. Why is it that if you carry out your life in partnership with the Spirit, you won't carry out the desire of the flesh? Well, verse 17 gives the answer to that question. It says this, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. In other words, the Spirit and the flesh are two different modes of living, two different ways of doing life that have two totally different sets of desires. And so if you're carrying out your life in partnership with the Spirit, your desires, your aims, and your ambitions are going to be uh, increasingly and continually and progressively different from the aims, desires, and ambitions of the flesh. And thus, if you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to be carrying out the desires of the flesh because your very sets of desires and your very aims and ambitions are going to be the Spirit's aims and ambitions, and thus you won't fulfill the desire of the flesh. So, the flesh has a series a set of desires that's against the Spirit. The Spirit has a set of desires that is against the flesh. There are two different ways of doing life, as he says then in the second half of verse 17, for these are in opposition to one another so that you can't do the things you please. So your freedom in Christ doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Your freedom in Christ doesn't mean you can do whatever you please. That's not the point of the freedom in Christ. Your freedom in Christ is intended to set you free from the flesh and all that goes with it so that you can walk by the Spirit and you can actually live the way God intended you to live, designed you to live from the very beginning. And so the flesh, its set of desires, is opposed to the Spirit and the Spirit's desires. And the Spirit's desires are opposed to the flesh's desires. These two different modes of living have two corresponding different sets of desires that lead to two totally different ways of life. You're not free in Christ to live however you want. You're free in Christ to live the way God wants as you walk by the Spirit. Now, verse 18 comes back then to the issue of the Old Testament law. Notice what he says. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The reason he brings that up is the entire context of the book of Galatians. They've basically been advocating, look, if you throw out the law, Paul, if you say the law's job is done and the law is a covenant is over, then it's no longer how God manages his people, but now he manages them by the Spirit in Christ, what you're essentially saying is it's a moral free-for-all. People can do whatever you want. What Paul says is, no, there's a third option. It's not just law or flesh. It's spirit law or flesh. And as he's argued, the law is part of the old system, the old era, and therefore its day is done. And that's why he has argued even in chapter 4 that it essentially is sided with the flesh because it's part of the old time period. And so its day is done. So if you walk by the Spirit, it's not like you can do whatever you want. But you're also not under the law. What you're under is the Spirit. And the Spirit now is the way God is going to govern his people and help you live his kind of life. From there, in verses 19 through 21, Paul then lists off, here's the kinds of things the flesh produces. Here's the kind of things the flesh leads to. Its desires, its aims, its ambitions, its wisdom, and its supposed common sense leads to these kinds of actions. Listen to what he says. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, 
Sexual immorality is what that refers to. It's the word pornia in Greek. It's the word we get our word pornography from. It refers to any illicit sexual activity. So immorality, impurity, dirtiness, uncleanness, sensuality. Sensuality is living for the senses, living for what feels good. If it feels good, do it. That's sensuality. That's one of the deeds of the flesh. Idolatry is essentially, in their culture, idolatry obviously was much more obvious than in ours because they had... Uh, various temples and idols and gods that they actively worshipped, and it was very clear. In our culture, we still have things that are idols, but it's not as clear because we don't have little statues and little temples necessarily to them. But idolatry is essentially making anything other than God an ultimate thing in your life, depending on anything other than God as an ultimate thing. And so even good things, as Tim Keller says, can become bad things when we make them ultimate things. That's idolatry, to worship something as an ultimate thing other than God. Sorcery has to do with uh, magic and even to um, the use of drugs and stuff and incantation. So sorcery enmities has to do with hostilities and fighting, strife, and all that wrangling and strife and arguing and bickering and grinding of gears in your relationships, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes and fighting again, and dissensions, party spirit, factions, and the idea of factions is separating to various parties and then, well, I'm on her side, and I'm on his side, and we got our various parties. That's a deed of the flesh, and we see that everywhere where we choose sides, and it gets hardened into factions, and we're not going to give in. Envying, where we want what other people have, and we're green with envy. Drunkenness. Carousing refers to wild partying and all of that that's so common uh, in their culture and in ours, wild partying, often with sexual connotations. And so notice how it ends. And things like these. In other words, this is just a random sample of the deeds of the flesh. This is the, just a sampling of the kinds of things that the, the flesh produces in life. It's the kind of stuff we read about in the newspaper or on the news online or we hear about, you know, in social media or we see an extended family or we hear about on the job. This is the deeds of the flesh. This is just the kind of stuff it produces. It's obvious and it's everywhere present. That's why it says the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Just look around you at the world around you. We see this. We experience this on a daily basis. This is the way of the fallen culture around us. And so he says of things like these, of which I have forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, those who do such things, practice such things regularly, this is what their life is like, shall not inherit the kingdom of God that you can't be living according to the flesh and inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of God essentially is God's rule or God's reign. And Paul's point is you still have to be God-governed in order to be part of God's kingdom and to experience the blessings of the kingdom. It's just that the way God governs his people now is not the Mosaic law. It's the uh, the, the Spirit himself, and the Spirit now is going to help us actually fulfill what the law always dreamed of to become the kind of people the law always wanted. And so you still have to be God-governed to be saved. Now, from there, he turns to the fruit of the Spirit, and this is a little bit more familiar to us. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is, notice, here's what the Spirit produces. When you walk by the Spirit, this is the kind of stuff that is going to be produced in you from the inside out. It's fruit. 
And fruit is something that is grown. It happens from the inside out, from the character of the tree, right? As a good tree produces good fruit, Jesus said. Well, how do we become good trees who produce good fruit? It happens by walking by the Spirit. In fact, it's very important here to notice that the uh, fruit is not a command. The command in context is walk by the Spirit. Now, in other places in Paul, he commands the kinds of things that he's going to list off as the fruit. But here, the command is walk by the Spirit. That's the basic Christian command. If we're going to keep all the other commands that Paul or the other apostles teach, it presumes that we are walking by the Spirit. That's what we have to do in order to become the kind of person who can do these things. So, As we walk by the Spirit, He produces fruit in us and through us. What is the fruit? Well, again, He lists off some of the kinds of things. Love, specifically agape love, distinctly Christian love. In other words, it's the kind of love that has the other person's well-being in mind and in heart and is committed to doing it regardless of how we feel or regardless of what we get out of it. We do what's best for other people routinely and regularly because the Spirit has made us love, right? So love, the next piece of the fruit is joy. Notice that, joy, like genuine, real, lasting joy. Jesus said in John 15, my joy I give to you, um, and my joy is overflowing. I want your joy to be overflowing. John 15, 11, that I've spoken these things to you that my joy might be in you and your joy might be overflowing. Jesus was the most joyful person these, these men had ever met. And Jesus wants to share that joy with us. He does that uh, through the Spirit, right? Like you can't give what you don't have. So the Spirit is full of joy and the Spirit fills us with joy. So love, joy, peace. Peace is not just the absence of conflict in the Bible. It's also the presence of wholeness and blessedness. And so the Spirit produces wholeness and wellness and blessedness in us that now then affects all our relationships. Patience is next. Patience has to do with, pretty obvious to us, is having a long fuse. It takes a lot to make you angry. You become a more patient person. You don't get angry. So in contrast to the deed of the flesh that was outbursts of anger, now we don't have outbursts of anger. We're a patient person. Kindness, where you will what's good for other people is the basic idea of kindness. You want their good. You want what's best for them. Goodness, the sense again of really wanting good things and doing good things for people is the idea of goodness, that we have this good heart that's benevolent and generous and kind-hearted. Faithfulness, where there is loyalty and dependability and faithfulness in our relationships with people. Gentleness, verse 23 begins with, and gentleness has to do with um, being considerate. And the word was used even of like, Horses that had been saddle broke, and now all that strength was under control. And so it's not being a bull in a china shop. It's not being rough. It's not having to use all your strength and prove that you're right. It's being gentle and being considerate of other people and being considerate of where they're coming from and and being gentle towards them. Um, And then self-control. Strength within is the idea of the word self-control. That you have strength within yourself. You have self-control, self-discipline, and you can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. You, you have control over yourself. And so he says, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
uh, goodness, gent faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then notice how the list ends. Against such things there is no law. Notice that. He comes back to that idea of law because really of the Judaizers' accusations that, Paul, if you throw out the law, then it's a moral free-for-all. And Paul's like, no, it's not. The Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in you. And guess what? The law is not going to condemn you for being so loving. The law is not going to condemn you for being too joyful. The law is not going to condemn you for being patient and kind and good and faithful, right? In fact, the, there's no law that'll ever condemn anybody for these traits this is the kind of person that the Old Testament law always dreamed of making but was incapable of doing because of the weakness of our flesh. And so now, by the power of the Spirit, we become the kind of person that the Old Testament law always dreamed of producing but wasn't able to because of the weakness of our flesh. And so against such things there is no law. And so he ends this Part two was saying, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We don't live by the flesh. We've crucified the flesh. Notice that. Crucified. We've put it to death. Have crucified. Notice the tense. It's an accomplished fact. It's an action that was done in the past with continuing effects in the presence. We have accomplished fact crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And we don't live for those aims. We don't live for those desires. Those don't define us anymore. That's not who we are anywhere, in, anymore. We are spirit people, and we walk by the spirit because we've put to death the flesh, the fallen way of doing life that's so present and prevalent in the world around us, and at times we feel within us. That's not who we are. We've put that to death. All right, now the final chunk of this whole section is verses 25 through 26, the wrap-up section where he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let's just clarify the difference here. He says, if we live by the Spirit, and the word live there is not the way we carry out our life, it's that we've been brought to life by the Spirit, that God in Christ has poured out His Spirit within us, and now we have new life. That's the idea. If we have been brought to life by the Spirit, speaking of our regeneration, speaking of our new birth, being born again, that we've been given brand new life by the Spirit, and the word if at the beginning of that, there's two different words for if in Greek, this particular word is the word that has more the force of sense in this construction. And so, if we've been uh, if we live by the Spirit, and we do, we've been brought to life by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's the carry out your life part. And so, since we've been brought to life by the Holy Spirit, let us carry out our life in partnership with the Spirit. That's what verse 25 is saying. And then verse 26 says, And let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Let us not do all those things that lead to biting and devouring and consuming one another. And notice again the one another context. And so the fruit of the Spirit that's listed off here is personal character traits, but they're not individual character traits. They have community effects, right? They're going to affect the way we live with one another. If you're loving one another, you're not going to be boastful, challenging, and envying one another. If you're patient with one another, you're not going to be bickering and fighting and striving with one another, right? So there's going to be these community uh, benefits to life together. There's going to be a one another effect of walking by the Spirit. So let us not become boastful, challenging one another, and envying one another.
So the way to live out your freedom in Christ responsibly and wisely is to walk by the Spirit. And as you do that, you will become the kind of person who loves your neighbor as yourself. That is the dominant point of this whole section. And it begs the question, well, then how then do you walk by the Spirit? And that is the question I intend to take up in the next section of this commentary on the book of Galatians because that's so fundamental and so important to living the Christian life. It's at the heart of what Paul has just said. This is the way followers of Jesus carry out their life today. This is the key to living a genuinely godly life, is walking by the Spirit. What does that mean and how do we do that? I take that up in the next session on this commentary in the book of Galatians.